0: Phil and Ruth are really good friends to Carol and I, most of all. Uh, Phil leads Everyday Church in uh, Wimbledon and the multi-site church that it is. And Phil also oversees this and a number of other churches. So in the Bible there's a kind of an office, as it were, of being an apostle, which I think is a really important biblical role. It's somebody who is uniquely gifted, not simply to to lead a church, but to oversee churches, to speak into the life of churches, to support leaders, to speak in truth and wisdom. And Phil fulfills that role brilliantly. Even if you haven't met him yet, I want you to know that he's been involved a lot in the life of our church, particularly these last two, three years, really encouraging, supporting, helping. Uh, He's brought Tim with him this morning. Tim's one of the senior leaders also at Everyday Church. He's going to, I think, get involved in praying and ministering to us. So thank you, Tim, for coming on this morning. And of course, what Phil's going to speak into this morning is specifically regards eldership. Why are we doing what we're doing in of appointing new elders? Who are elders? What are they? Not just physically, who are they in Patrick and Mark? But what is the what is biblical office of an elder? And why is it really, really important? So without further ado, can we welcome Phil?
1: Hey, everyone. It's great to be with you. Um, thanks for having me. As uh, Philip said, Uh, I've been really involved behind the scenes with your church for a few years, Um, but I was working out uh, this morning, actually last time I was actually with you on a Sunday morning was two, almost three years ago, Uh, somewhere between two and three years ago. So thank you for having me back. Hopefully you'll have me back before the next three years. Uh, It's great to be with you on a really exciting Sunday. Um, If you're new to church, we're going to be appointing two new elders a little bit later. So it's exciting, obviously, for... Patrick and for Mark and for Kate and for Liz and their wider families and so on. But obviously really exciting for King's Church as a whole. And I guess um, how excited you are about what will happen at the end of this message probably depends on how aware you are of what elders do. You know, in some ways there's no reason why I would assume that even a group of Christians, let alone those who are here because they're wanting to find out more about God, would know. And so we thought chatting with Philip before today, actually one of the best things we could do would be even just to read a passage of the Bible that talks about, we use the word elders. Uh, Paul, who we're going to read from the book of Titus chapter 1 if you've got a Bible. Um, he, talk, he uses three words to describe the leaders of churches. He calls them elders, he calls them overseers, and he calls them pastors. So interchangeable words. But we thought it would be quite, why don't we talk about what pastors actually do? Uh, that will enable you to pray for these guys today and ongoing it will help you to actually get the best out of them ephesians 4:11 says jesus christ gives pastors to churches as a gift in order to help bring people to maturity so i'll actually help you to appreciate why are these people a gift to me and actually in, in the best possible sense what am i going to get out of their leadership it would be helpful. Um, I felt, I was joking with Patrick before, and I said, um, this is your last chance to get out of it. And uh, I compared it to a wedding day, uh, you know, when you're waiting there and the bride hasn't quite arrived. And uh, I said, you know, it was a good choice first time round, So it's going to be a good, good choice second time around as you become an elder. Um, it is a bit like that. Like at a wedding, the tradition is the pastor preaches to the married couple, which feels a bit weird for everybody because you're sitting in a room where there's a sermon for two people. Um, and in some ways, this is a sermon for two, three people. It's a sermon for the, for the team of pastors here. Um, but I'm preaching it in front of you because actually it's really helpful for you to understand what are these guys doing and why do you have an eldership team at all? So uh, I'm just going to read from, uh, a ph- uh, sorry, from Titus chapter 1. These are verses which talk about eldership. And um, I, I think the words are going to go up on the screen actually in case you haven't got a Bible. Um, But you can read along with me. And what I'm trying to do here is help you to understand the context so that at the end of this message, Tim and Ruth and myself and notice David and Anne Roussel are here as well, Jamie's mum and dad. Uh, Dave's an elder at East Grinstead, part of New Ground as well. So we'll include them as well of laying hands on these new guys for eldership. You'll understand what's going on and why it's a big deal, basically. So let me read uh, Titus chapter 1. I'll start at verse 4. This is Paul writing to Titus, my true son in our common faith. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. I'll I'll carry on reading, but just to give you the context, what happened was Paul was... uh, one of the great apostles of the church uh, in the first century, he was arrested in Jerusalem in 57 AD, May 57 AD. He was arrested, he was put in jail, and was taken on, tr- on trial before Caesar in Rome. And on his way to Rome, he ended up, towards the end of 59 AD, he ended up in Crete, not because there was a great master plan other than the plan God had, but because it was on the way to Rome, and so they stopped at Crete. And basically Crete was the kind of place where you didn't want to hang out, which is totally different from Kingston. I aspire to Kingston. I live in Rains Park, so when people say where do you live, I can say I live near Kingston and they think I live in a posher place than I do. Crete was the opposite. Crete was the kind of place where if you lived in Crete and people said where'd you come from, you'd say Greater Greece or something, you know, you would you would try and not admit it. And basically the centurion, the Roman centurion who was in charge of Paul's tri- of getting Paul to his trial basically wanted to get away from Crete as quickly as possible. In fact, he actually shipwrecked the ship by trying to leave Crete too early. Paul said to him, this is not a good time to sail, it's winter, the storms. The centurion said, I don't care, I just want to leave Crete. Uh, And the weird thing about Paul is that he left Crete not thinking, wow, glad I got rid of Crete. He actually left thinking, this is one of the worst places I've ever been to. It needs churches. And therefore, Paul basically spent his two or three years imprisoned in Rome thinking how can I get back to Crete we know that because in 64 AD having been released from prison he planted some churches in Spain and in southern France but then he said I want to get back to the eastern Mediterranean and the first place he went to was Crete and he preached the gospel there and as a result of that there were many believers there and he's just about to establish churches in these many different towns on the island of Crete uh, and suddenly he gets some news that there's an eldership crisis in Ephesus. He says, I've got to go. I've got to get to Ephesus in Turkey. And he leaves his traveling companion, his co-worker, Titus Vine, writes in this letter. And that's the background to him saying, the reason I left you in Crete was to finish the work and appoint elders. In other words, having elders in a church is really, really important. To the extent that Paul wrote a letter saying, until you've appointed elders, the work of church funding isn't complete. So if you're quite excited about today, you're not being over the top. You're being entirely right in judging today's events. This is a huge deal as the eldership team at King's Church Kingston grows. Let me read on. I thought it might just help to have the background. Paul gives some directions. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Just looking over here at children. Um, Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain of money. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what's good, who's self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. We'll come back to those verses in a minute. But did you notice there's something like 15 different characteristics that Paul mentions there? None of them are about skills. All of them are about character. Even the one that's talking about teaching from the Word of God is less about must have good illustrations, (laughs) must be really good at telling stories and everyone laughs and thinks, oh, I should bring my friends to hear this guy. No, it's more around... Does he preach the word of God or not? It's like the character of, can this person be trusted with God's message? We'll come back to that in a moment. For there are many rebellious people. This is Crete, remember? There are many rebellious people, full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group, which was a a group of Jewish Christians who were basically saying, unless you were circumcised, you couldn't be a Christian. Guys, aren't you glad that Paul spoke against them and the Judaizers did not win the the day that was all that was going on in Crete they must be silenced because they're disrupting whole households by teaching things they really ought not to teach and that for the sake of their own dishonest gain one of Crete's own prophets and a quote here from Epimenides one of the great Crete, Cretan authors said this Cretans are always liars evil brutes lazy gluttons this saying is true you think Kingston's bad Crete was worse therefore rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe nothing's pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. You might think that Paul is a bit down on the people of Crete. He's not. These are the people he's been desperate to get back to. God love to people of Kingston, right? I know that you are not in the same category as the people of Crete. But do you know what? One of the big challenges in our culture is we don't honour leadership. Um, We live in the city that that penned the songs Anarchy in the UK, Sex Pistols, uh, Talking About a Revolution, Beatles. We live in Uh, A city which actually for the last 50 years has celebrated rebellion against authority. Some of that was good. There was authority which actually needed to be questioned. I'm quite glad that some of the authority figures that I read about in old books or I see in old movies, I'm glad someone stood up to them, to be honest. But there is something about our culture that doesn't follow leadership very well. And so actually when Paul's talking about rebellious people who won't be taught, there is actually a bit of relevance to us living in Kingston or living in London. We, we live in a culture where people don't want to follow leaders. They don't want to follow politicians. They certainly don't want to follow religious leaders. So what Paul's saying here is something really countercultural, And he's quite clever in it. He's, he's basically asking the question, um, what did elders ever do for us? I don't know if anyone's a Monty Python uh, fan. Anyone, anyone here watched The Life of Brian? You really shouldn't, you good Christian people. But hey... Um, there's a scene in it where they're basically saying, what did the Roman, What have the Romans ever done for us? And quite, I won't try and do it because it won't be as funny if I tell it to you. But like the punchline is, all right, but apart from the sanitation, the medicine, education, wine, public order, irrigation, roads, the fresh water system and public health, what have the Romans ever done for us? And this is like Paul's what have, the, what have elders ever done for us moment. Because he actually, he cracks a joke. It's not a hilarious joke. I'll hand it to you. But he does something quite clever which um, one of the apostles in New Frontiers, a guy called Dave Devenish, we were ministering together in France. And I said to him, Dave, um, I'm trying to write a book on, uh, on, the, on Paul's letter to Titus at the moment. I don't know what to do. There's a bit where Paul's really racist in it, is the bit that you must have noticed, where he says, all Cretans are gluttons and liars and evil brutes. This saying is true. I was like, Dave, there's a bit in the Bible where Paul's racist. What do you make of that? He said, Phil, you're not reading it quick you're reading it too quickly. You're not reading it slowly enough. He said, Read it slowly. And he kind of discipled me through this passage. He showed me what Paul's trying to do in these verses. He said, he's quoting from the great Cretan author, Epimenides. He's the same guy that he quotes in Acts 17, if you know that that chapter where he's preaching to the Athenian Areopagus. So he quotes from the same Greek author, he's from the island of Crete. And he says, oh, yeah, one of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. And Dave Devenish said to me, did you notice what he did there? I'm like, no. He said, read it again. Did you notice what he did there? And then then I suddenly realized what Paul says is, a Cretan says everyone is liars. And I know it's true because a Cretan told me. Do you get it? I thought it wasn't a very funny joke. But um, he's basically saying all your prejudices are ridiculous. Cretans are always liars, I know it, because a Cretan told me. It's just a ridiculous thing to say. And I think there's something within our culture which says, who's Mark? Who's Philip? Who's Patrick? Who are these guys to tell me what to do? Who are these guys to lead us? And even when we lay hands on them, you might, you, you might want to become an elder. That's great, to be honest. 1 Timothy 3.1 says, whoever desires to be an elder desires a noble task. This is, not the, this is not the end of the road. This church will grow. This church will double in size and will need twice as many elders. This is the first step in a long journey. So I would hope that many of us are desiring, actually, I, I would like to join this team, but don't look down on these guys. This is what Paul's basically saying. He's saying you might have many reasons to think. When Phil describes the five things that eldership, that elders do, why did these guys get? Because God's in it. And because Paul's basically saying to the people, to Titus, even on the island of Crete, God will find some amazing people who will meet. And even in the royal borough of Kingston, God will find some amazing people to lead. I really want to commend these, these guys to you. Um, and so let me just tell you the five things that God's calling these elders to do, and then we'll pray for them. And it's a Big moment for you as a church. First thing uh, that Paul talks about here is displaying what, it, what it's like to be a Christian. They display godliness. Paul begins by saying, appoint elders in every town, and then he says, and this is what they must be like, and gives 15 character qualifications. Have you noticed people become like their leaders? They just do, don't they? If you have, I don't want to add to, you know, the, uh, the lack of respect towards authority in London, there's nothing going on, but have you noticed when, when there's a bad politician leading a party, have you noticed it affects the whole party? Have you noticed when there's a bad coach in a football team, it affects the whole team? Have you noticed when there's a bad elder, it affects the whole church. And what, what um, Paul's saying here is actually eldership, getting eldership right is absolutely key. He's basically saying appoint as elders the kind of people that are able to say to the church what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11:1, which is imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's a massive thing to say. I'm an elder, so uh, I, I kind of feel the weight of that. An elder is someone who's able to turn to the congregation and say, I'm following Jesus. Follow me as I follow Jesus. You're looking for people that you want more of. You're looking for people who actually, that's why there's all these, these character qualifications. People that actually as a church, like it or not, you're going to become like these elders. This is, they're going to set the vibe. They're going to set um, the, the sense of what it means to follow Jesus. So pray for them. Because if they lead well, you'll become better. They leave badly, you won't <laughs> pray for them. It's a massive, massive deal. And, um, you know, even as we're praying for these guys who are going to display what it means to be godly, what it means to follow Jesus, I think pray for yourselves. When I read these qualifications, I don't think they're actually qualifications for elders only, I think they're qualifications for any leader in the church. So if you're leading in the kids' work upstairs, obviously not today unless you've got very good ears. But if on another Sunday you would be leading upstairs, this is also what you're to be for the kids. If you're a small group leader during the week, this is what you're to be for the people you're discipling. These are massive things. And just to encourage you guys that are coming into eldership today, um, when it says, he must be blameless, what? which of us is blameless? In fact, the Bible actually says none of us are blameless. No, the, the Greek word here, anankletos, means above reproach. It uses it twice. In other words... They're not perfect, but they are following Jesus in an exemplary way. So pray for them. It's not an easy thing to be an elder, to be honest. It's not easy because there's the pressure of leadership. It's not easy because you become an elder by having some pretty strong leadership opinions. And uh, I find that when I'm leading on my own, there's perfect unanimity. Put someone else in the mix that's different. To actually, actually pray for them to actually not shout one another down, but actually to lead well as a team actually sometimes i need the team of elders in the way philip does here but there are times like even on crucial issues where i'll sit with my team and some of them will disagree with me and i need to have the grace to say actually these guys have got a point and they're right and i'm wrong that's why it says uh, the leader an elder mustn't be overbearing because it's easy when you've got a leadership gift to abuse your leadership gift because leaders by definition can call people to follow. They tend to be charismatic people. They're the kind of people that can take people with them. And that is, well, that's dangerous, isn't it? If used badly. So pray for them to have these things. Pray for their marriages, faithful to their wife. Pray pray for their kids. um, Their kids uh, that they would believe and not be open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Pray for them to manage their households well. Pray for them to not be quick-tempered. Pray for them not to be drunk or to abuse alcohol not violent not pursuing dishonest gain you know elders handle money and there's enough church scandals that there have been over the past two thousand years right about money pray for them um these guys uh have gone through a process which goes back maybe a year or so so this is not a rash decision we're making today uh but actually we've been testing their character and i just want to say uh, they are men of good character but pray for them pray for them uh, pray for them as a team i think you know you, you couldn't hope my, my church i lead they're not going to get from me how to follow jesus because i'm not perfect in every area i've got some things that i bring to the team i've got some blind spots to be honest i'm sure philip will have his own blind spots as well there's something about the fact that paul says to titus not just appoint an elder don't just have a vicar who's in charge of everything no, appoint a team of elders there's something about the accountability of a group where, uh, you know, I won't see stuff because it's just my makeup. Um, and some of the people who are in my eldership team will say, Phil, that's that's great. Let's talk about this. So pray for them. Actually, they'll be accountable to one another and they'll love one another enough to be able to say, you know, this is great, but um, just think there's something that God wants to work with in you. So pray for them. They're... they're first task really is to display to you as a church what does it mean to follow jesus christ it's great to read the bible it's great to come on the academy It's great to see that forest of hands not enough in my opinion um it's great to get training and so on but you know there is nothing like watching someone to know what it means to follow jesus first thing they do is they display what it means to follow jesus second thing they do is uh, they define biblical doctrine and practice paul says uh an elder must must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it's been taught. Paul's talking about these Judaizers, you know, that were saying you had to be circumcised to be a Christian. Man, that was just a really big battle, right, Hey, guys? That was a big battle for them to win. Um, but we live in a different age. I, I'm not going to name names, because I always think it's bad to badmouth other church leaders you disagree with. But at the start of this year, a church leader in London, very prominent, you know his name probably if you've, Been a Christian for any length of time, uh, start putting some uh, videos online, basically saying, "I I want to teach you to think differently about the Bible. Uh, The Bible is not is not the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. The Bible is people's conversation about the Word of God, and you mustn't take everything that the Bible says as as God's word. In fact, this is just a discussion which people have been having for millennia about what it means to know God. Some of it." right some of it's wrong many of them they're just victims of the generation they live in we know better because we're 21st century british people so how could we be wrong in any way so we sit in judgment over scripture and essentially saying the word of god isn't sorry the bible isn't the word of god it's an invitation to join the conversation about what the word of god might be it sounds really attractive doesn't it because we don't like authority texts when you go to university or school you're taught to doubt everything which is, you know, a bit of a circular argument, isn't it? It's like doubt everything except for my instruction that you should doubt everything. And actually part of Christianity is recognizing that God's revealed stuff to us. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, God has revealed some of the secret stuff to us. And he's kept some of the secret stuff for himself. And that's, that's the Christian life. It's recognizing God's revealed some stuff. and We mustn't deny it. Um, and God hasn't revealed some stuff. And actually, we do get to discuss, well, how do we apply this to our generation? Um, but what the elders are, are here for is, uh, you've got busy lives. You don't have time to watch all the videos. You don't have time to study theology and to be able to, uh, to engage with it, and to see maybe some of the, the gaps in, in what seems a persuasive argument. False teachers are always very persuasive. That's why they're false teachers, Otherwise, they're just people people ignore. We don't really call them false teachers. They're usually great communicators. And an eldership team is an incredible safety net for a church in the sense that actually they're those who are in the Word of God maybe more than you are. They're those that have got more time maybe to study the Scriptures and to help you to understand. You know, The kind of things that I'm going through in my eldership team at the moment is we have transgender people who are coming to the church. And how do you pastor them? I can't find a verse on that in the bible how, what, what do you do got an email two weeks ago from a lesbian couple saying we're looking for a church we've got two children can we come to your church without being judged uh to which you know we want to talk as elders how do we pass those people so my reply is of oh, course you can come without being judged we we want to gather a crowd of people who want to hear the word of god without any kind of conditions attached but you may find us hot to handle we're going to trip on, step on everybody's toes including yours so it's like you want elders who are who are dealing with some of these issues trying to work out you know how do we how do we release people to lead in a really godly way i love um i love the way uh paul refers in verse 14 to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth it's pretty bold to talk and verse 9 holding firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. What will happen at the end of this message is we'll lay hands on these people for eldership. And hey, I'm I'm not going to try and sound like Pope Francis at this point. Um, I'm not going to talk apostolic succession. But listen to this. Paul laid hands on Titus as an elder, and then Titus, for eldership, and then at some point some of those elders laid hands on some other people for eldership, and basically since apostolic time since the first century, people have been laying hands on elders who've been laying hands on new people for eldership, and there's something around this is not a group of guys who decided to get together and work out what life's all about. This is a movement that's been going on for two thousand years and, and more. And the reason why we're laying hands on them is to say, you are part of Jesus Christ's movement on the earth. It's exciting. Pray for them. Uh, we live in, an, in a generation where so many things which previous generations took as, as red are challenged. And these elders need to not, not be conservative out of fear and to say, oh well, it's different. We, we need to do what everyone's always said. No, we live in a different generation, but to be faithful to the word of God. The uh, third thing they do, is uh, Paul talks about them directing the mission and ministry of the church. He says appoint elders in every church. An overseer manages God's household. Paul uses these three words to describe pastors. Pastors, he only uses once in Ephesians 4.11, which basically means shepherds. It's the Latin word for shepherd. In other words, these guys look after the sheep of God. Uh, That's you. It's not a very complimentary phrase, but Jesus used it. Uh, He basically says sheep need a shepherd to lead them. You need elders to direct the work of King's Church Kingston. When there isn't strong leadership in a church, churches don't go anywhere very fast. When there's a committee meeting of sheep deciding which field to go to, the answer is always, why don't we stay here? P.S. Yes. It's what sheep do. Whereas Paul's saying, no, actually, uh, the shepherds that are appointed, he uses two words, elder, The word presbyteros was uh, in Greek, was basically the name for those who shepherded the synagogues in the Jewish world. And overseer was the word for basically the, the senior civil servants who ran the Roman Empire. It was a word from the Greek and Latin language. Uh, and so what Paul's basically saying is, these shepherds shepherd you well by leading a church like the leaders of a synagogue, lead a synagogue, or like the rulers of a province in the Roman Empire lead the province. In other words, they've got a leadership role. They're meant to direct you in the way to go. That's why it says things like, if they haven't led their households well, don't let them lead the household of God. I mean, one of the things this is that I would help people to, to, to kind of grasp, what does this mean today? Is this whole issue of male eldership? Uh, we live in a very egalitarian culture. Again, I'm not particularly fighting that. I think if you look back in the past, I think there's no doubt that, Men are stronger than women physically and have therefore dominated women for centuries. I think it's a wonderful thing that women are able to lead and are affirmed as human beings in the image of God, not through their husbands, but through who they are as a wonderful woman. It's great. But Paul is also clear here that that eldership is male. It's one of the things that we define and we're trying to work out what does that mean for today? And I think part of the reason Paul says this is The Bible talks about marriage and says, actually, the woman, uh, the wife in a marriage reflects the glory of God as much as the man. The husband in the marriage reflects the glory of God. Nevertheless, God's called the husband to lead his wife well. It's like um, when Eve sins in the Garden of Eden, God comes looking for Adam. There's this famous bit in uh, the book of Deuteronomy where a girl sins, a daughter sins, and the elders of Israel are to go looking for the dad. You think, "Well, well, it's a bit unfair on the dad. No, it isn't. He's meant to lead his family well. And one of the reasons why eldership is male in in the New Testament and therefore uh, in our experience as well is because it's basically saying look for those who lead households well in the church and then entrust them with together leading this, the household of God, together. So pray for them as they try and lead well. These are guys who are meant to give you direction. They're meant to say, where should we go as a church? They're meant to say, how quickly can we go there? Sometimes you can get the destination right but be so impatient to get there that you wreck the church along the way in the same way that the centurion said we need to leave crete and actually ended up wrecking the ship whereas if we waited till the following year the ship would have reached Rome. so it's like these guys have to work out direction and pace these guys need to be saying to you you've got busy lives what should you be devoting your time to they need to actually be saying to one another we're asking too much time from people you can say that They also need to say, well, if this is a reasonable amount of time that we're asking people to give to the church, how do we use it best? If we're asking people to give of their money, how much should we be encouraging people to give? And once they give it, what should we be spending our money on and what should we not be spending our money on? They should be basically saying, what talents are there in the congregation that we can release rather than monopolizing ministry for ourselves? And that's the fourth thing. They don't just direct the mission and ministry of the church. They delegate it to people they support. It says, appoint elders in every town and encourage others. There's like this principle in Ephesians 4 11 to 13. It says, God has appointed elders, pastors in every church, not so that they can look good, but so that the whole body of Christ will be equipped for works of service. Or um, in 2 Timothy 2 2, uh, it says, uh, Paul's talking to Timothy, a friend of Titus. He says, What well, I've entrusted to you entrust to faithful men in other words elders who, who will also entrust it to others the purpose of today is not to get the group of leaders together and therefore you are followers no it's to get the senior leadership of king's church kingston right and their job is not to monopolize leadership their job is to mobilize leadership it's why i think in our church where we do just have men as elders i think women are released to do more than in some churches where men and women can become elders because we don't see it as our job to do everything. We see it as our job to, uh, when I'm chatting with my, uh, with my elders, I try and liken it. Sorry, if you're not a man United fan, but I try and liken it to Jose Mourinho. Like actually our job is to be in the dugout. We pick the team, we train them, we coach them every so often. They're three nil down to Man City. We have a halftime, pe- uh, sorry, two nil down and we have a time talk and they come out, and they win the game 3-2. It's like, it's a coaching role. It would be really weird if Jose Mourinho, partway through the match, said, Paul Pogba, I'm taking you off and I'm coming on. But you do come across churches where really eldership is about a small group of people doing everything. They're worn out, and the church are a bit frustrated. No, really the role of elders is basically to be the coaching, the coaching leadership of the team so that everybody gets to play. Um, oh, I've got so much more I'd want to say. I'd love to say that these guys are not just here to direct and delegate you to reach Kingston. I love Kingston. Um, uh, I, I pray for Kingston regularly. I want to reach Kingston. But um, 150,000 people every week in the continent of Europe die without Jesus Christ. That is 7.8 million people every year die in our own continent without Jesus Christ. They're not just to direct and delegate the teams for a Sunday morning. That's wonderful, but it's too small a thing. Really, these guys are meant to be raising you up to lead so that when one of you says, I'm moving to another part of the UK, they're not saying, Oh, no, we were really hoping you'd head up our kids ministry. They're saying, Wonderful. How can we help you to plant a new church where you're going? Where one of you says, uh, "Yeah, I'm just graduating from. i graduating with a French degree, or I came here from another country." And actually, they're they they're not just thinking, "How do I? How do we find the next step for you here, or how do we integrate you, even though English is your second language, into an English-speaking congregation?" They're thinking, "How do we equip you to go and plant something new?" There's the, the scope for what we're to pray for these guys for is massive. I want to encourage you to do so. And the last thing I say, the best till last they discipline those they lead we really struggle to talk about this particularly in london uh where we're we're not into leadership authority so much paul says about these judaizers these false teachers they must be silenced therefore rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith because we live in a similar context of not particularly liking authority to the people in in crete we can get how that must have felt to titus when he read it we don't like that I've met with Patrick and Mark and Philip and others. And, uh, um, yet, hey, we pastors, we love drinking cups of tea with people. We love praying with them. We love being nice to them. We love them saying, wow, you're such a caring pastor. We love all that. But shepherds carry a big stick for a reason, right? It says uh, in, uh, when Paul's talking to the elders in Ephesus in Acts 20, 28 to 31, keep watch over yourselves, and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after themselves. So be on your guard. Paul basically says, he basically says, wolves are going to come and attack the church p.s i'm off leaving you to it and he basically says it's all right because you've got elders in ephesus and they'll be able to protect the flock actually guys i want to particularly talk to you at this point it's something we hate doing because we live in an anti-authority city we're also british i don't know i know you're not but you know um my mum said to me Be nice to people. My mum said, don't offend people. My mum said, don't talk about religion and politics over dinner and stuff like that. Uh, You guys, you've got to to be willing to tread on people's toes. I know you are British. You've got your passport now. Um, But um, don't be too British is what I'm trying to say. There is a role here. And uh, I don't know about you, those of you that aren't um, elders. There are certain guys that have been in churches where I've been. And uh, they've said the things I didn't want to hear. They've said the things that have offended me. I think once or twice they've even said things that have made me think, I want to leave this church if people are going to talk to me like that. They're the people I'm most grateful to now. And I want to ask you, make it easy for these guys. These are not bullies. These are not guys who want to throw their weight around. But out of love for you, they will sometimes say, that is not how Christians live. And uh, this is what we're praying for them to do today. And uh, I'll just say one last thing to these guys, and then we'll pray. Um, that verse I read, it says, uh, keep watch over yourselves. I want to encourage you in becoming elders not to think it's all about them now. Watch yourselves. Um, if you're doing well, the church will do well. If you've got secret sins, the church will do badly. So watch. Your, keep watch over yourselves. Of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The reason we're going to lay hands on you is because I'm not going to proclaim that you are elders and give you a certificate. I'm going to lay hands on you. We're going to actually commit you to the Holy Spirit and we're going to pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit as you become elders today. So I want you to know that in the times when you doubt your own leadership, the times when you discipline people and you don't get the feedback you were hoping for, you've got authority from the Holy Spirit. Um, I want to encourage you, it says, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I just want to encourage you with how precious King's Church Kingston is in the sight of God. Ruth and I had a a weekend away in Bruges recently, and we went to this really weird church where they had a test tube full of the blood of Jesus, allegedly. It was one of these medieval relics where someone had found some of Jesus' own blood, and it was still there in a test tube, 2,000 years old, and pretty caked as you would imagine. Um, And boy, did they guard it. Like at a certain time every day, they would get it out. And a priest would stand there and you could come and kiss the test tube and uh, uh, share the germs of everybody else in Bruges. But man, they honored the blood of Jesus. How much more must you guys honor the church that's been bought with the blood of Jesus? This is a massive deal. And it's right that we're doing this publicly. It's right that you know, this is such a celebratory morning, it's right we're having lunch after to say this was a big deal in our church's story. You're you're gonna be elders in the church that was bought with the blood of God's own son. So at times when you think I can't say that because they'll be offended, remember you're primarily accountable to the one who shed his blood for this church. And even if sometimes you will challenge people and they'll leave. You're gonna stand before Jesus Christ one day. It's 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 going to be easier to say you bought it with your blood and therefore I obeyed you than it is to say, well, you know, she's friends with my brother and, you know, I've been in the church so long. Guys, this church relies on you having some backbone. This church relies on you remembering at all times that this was the church bought with the blood of Jesus. And then it says, uh, savage wolves will come in beyond your guard. Just be aware, the devil's real. And uh, this is why these guys are such good news for you as a church. Th- these guys are praying for you. These guys are standing there for you. When, when a, a dog attacks a family, dad stands in the way of the kids. And when the devil, who's very real, comes to attack a church, these guys will be standing in the gap uh, defending you. So that's what they do. Is that helpful? I hope it's helpful for those of you that are coming into eldership now, and uh, I really hope it's helpful for you as a church. This is why this is so important, and this is what we're praying for and celebrating today. Let's move into me stopping talking, and actually, let's do some praying together. Could we just start? I just really want to commend Paul and Belinda. Paul's been an elder. How how many years, Paul? 20? 24 years! So, Paul and Belinda were part of planting this church out of what was then Queens Road Church before we came in and... Wrecked it, renovated whatever we did, and it became everyday church. And QRC planted this church out, and Paul and Belinda were faithful planting the church. I just, I was trying to list some of the things to say thank you to you for, because I think it's really important. Psalm 121 verse 8 says, God cares about our goings out as well as our comings in. Now, they're not going out. Belinda's going to carry on being chair of trustees. And, uh, Paul's going to carry on leading out of who he is, even though he's going to stop being an elder from today. But I just think as a church, even before we press on, it would be great in a moment for us to give them a big round of applause and just to say thank you. 24 years, that's like a quarter of a century of standing in the gap for you. I mean, those of you who have been around for a while, been a couple of times when leaders have had to stand down in, in bad circumstances. Paul and Belinda have been a rock at those times. Paul led the church for three or four years um, in bet- you know, in the context of one of those moments, leading worship here, discipling young leaders. Uh, I got an email uh, the other day from John Ford, he used to be an elder here. You sent him to plant a new church in Istanbul. Paul was instrumental in discipling him and preparing him to go and reach, you know, one of the most significant Muslim nations for Christ. They've, they've served you guys so well. You've seen some of it because it's been on a Sunday. But as I've worked with Paul over the last few years, there's been a whole load of pain and diligence and hard work and just good eldering that I just would love us to honor and just give them a round of applause to say well done. (laughs) Fantastic. Thank you. I'm thanking you on behalf of them, but I can thank you on behalf of New Ground as well. That stunning ovation says it all. You guys have done really, really well. We're often better at beginnings, make a big deal of praying people into eldership, than we are of a handover moment. This is, this is a good moment for you, and I just want to say well done for even this moment of handover, handing over so well. It's brilliant. Why don't we invite Patrick and Liz and Mark and Kate and Philip and Caroline. Is Caroline around? Brilliant, over there. Why don't you guys come up the front? We'd love to pray for you.